Uh, as we come to our text this morning, I was thinking if we were able to go to a his, uh, historical convention or a convention of professors of history and ask the question, what is the most important event that has ever taken place in the history of the world? You wonder what the answers would be, right? Uh, some would say maybe a, a battle or a war, or maybe a, some idea, some philosopher, some person who has lived, who has changed the, the whole thinking of the world. It might be some uh, political system, some political event that has happened, some economic uh, views. Uh, there would not be consensus. But the reality is, we know the answer to that question by simply looking at the top of your bulletin or the top of the blog that you read today or when you write a check. Probably at some point in the past uh, week, you've written the number 2017. And actually, that, that, that number uh, comes after the word anodeum, uh, the year of our Lord. And so what we, what we have is a constant reminder to the Western world for sure, and I think the whole world, because we are all working off the Gregorian calendar, is that our dates are marked by the birth of Jesus Christ. And so that's exactly what the Gospels point to. And the reason uh, is such an important date, according to the gospel writers, is because what we have in the person of Christ is God himself who's entered into the world through the virgin birth and is God and man to be our substitute as the second Adam to be crucified on our behalf and be raised from the dead. Now, why do I tell you this? Well, because this is exactly what Zechariah is writing about. Zechariah understands, as we'll see, that he is on the threshold of a new age. That we're moving from the old order, the Old Testament, where there's death that reigns and there's very little light. And his own son, John the Baptist, would be the last and the greatest prophet to point to the Lord Jesus Christ, who this morning is the light and life of men. And so I want you to turn to our text this morning as we look at Zechariah's song. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, may serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness 
before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the, sh- and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public ministry uh, appearance to Israel. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word. We are thankful that we have your word uh, given to us to understand all that we need to know for saving faith, to know God by the power of your Holy Spirit, and for our lives to be transformed. We thank you for your word. But Lord, your word is shut up to us apart from the work of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would open our eyes to behold the realities of who Christ is and what he has come into the world to accomplish and what he has accomplished and that he is coming again one day. And so, Lord, we ask that during this Advent season that our hearts would be tuned toward you, that we would meditate and consider this great reality of the Incarnation. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and that you would teach us from Zacharias and his song this morning. And we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. So, if you're visiting, we are looking at the Advent songs that you find in the book of Luke. There are, there are five that he gives in the birth narratives. And so we're looking uh, at uh, these songs. Uh, now, last week, uh, Todd, our, one of our pastors, looked at the familiar Magnificat that was uh, given by Mary after the angel Gabriel had appeared to her. And her immediate response as a young virgin woman, her immediate response was to submit her life to the word of the Lord. It didn't matter what her circumstances were. It didn't matter what all the implications were going to be for Mary. And you can read the scriptures and find out that there were implications for her that she gave birth, a virgin birth. And yet Mary could say this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. That's her response to this incredible news that would cost her. Todd also pointed out that her her song was both cosmic and personal. What God is doing for the world, but doing through her. What God was doing through her. This morning we're going to look at Zechariah's song. And it also is cosmic. But it's universal. Zechariah is understanding the realities of why John the Baptist was to be born and who Christ was. 
And his song is pointing us to the redemption that is for this world and for you this morning if you come to Christ uh, through faith. Uh, Zachariah's song actually shows us the very point of Christmas. It's a historical reality. Now, I'm going to only have two points uh, this morning, and I really want to spend most of my time on the second point uh, because I want to give more application because you, sometimes it's very hard to preach Christmas sermons. You understand that? Yeah, I heard that before. But I, but I really want to look at a particular phrase as we come toward the end. But uh, before I give you the two points, I, I do have to give you a context, a historical context. What is going on in this passage? Well, Zechariah is a relative of Mary. And so is his wife, Betsy, or Elizabeth. My mother's Betsy, Elizabeth. (laughs) Hey, maybe they called her Betsy. (laughs) So Zechariah is married to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is barren. And she cannot have children. And of course, that was a great uh, feeling of cursed, cursedness. And so they had prayed that God would give them a child. Well, now she had passed childbearing years. But before Gabriel appeared to his cousin Mary, it was Zachariah's time. Uh, once in a lifetime to go in to offer the incense at the altar. There were so many priests, they drew lots. He drew the lot. It was his time to do it. Obviously, according to God's providence. And so he goes in to the temple. And when he goes into the temple, he sees an angel. And the angel's name is Gabriel, the same angel that would appear later to Mary. And so when the angel appears to uh, Zechariah, Obviously, Zechariah is stunned. He's afraid. He's fearful because there's an angel before him. And then the angel said this, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now that's great news, isn't it, for John? But he didn't respond the same way that Mary did. Let me just say something to you if you're a 14-year-old girl or boy or 15-year-old girl or boy, and that was the age of Mary when... Uh, Gabriel came uh, to her. A man can have all the wisdom in the world, like Zechariah, a man who was well-versed in scriptures and yet have doubts. And you as a child can know who God is and submit your life to him like Mary did. But that's not what Zechariah did, did he? No, I mean, you think Zechariah, he understood the Old Testament. He was a godly man. The scriptures tell us that he and Elizabeth were blameless people. They sought to honor God. They knew the scriptures. Mary knew the scriptures. 
But you know, it's one thing knowing, it's another thing believing. And when God tell, and Gabriel tells Zechariah, uh, your wife is going to have a baby, notice his response. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the days these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So what was his response to this miracle that God was going to do to give Elizabeth, a child. It was unbelief. It was doubt. How can that be? She's 55, 60 years old. And so because of his unbelief, he was struck dumb. He couldn't speak. And just as an aside, I would say this, that all unbelief, and like if you claim to be a Christian, but you have these doubts all the time about what God has accomplished in the person of Christ, then you'll never speak. You'll just remain silent because you're not really sure if you believe it, but God is gracious. And so Zechariah had time to think about it, didn't he? And so lo and behold, not many uh, long after that, Elizabeth gets pregnant and then Gabriel comes to Mary and he tells Mary, the virgin, that you are going to have a son and his name will be called Savior, Emmanuel. God with us. So Mary comes, uh, Mary comes to the house of Elizabeth and Zechariah to stay and to visit. And soon as uh, Mary walks in the room, the baby uh, in her womb, John the Baptist, leaps. And so John, Zechariah is beginning to put two and two together. And so he's thinking, wait a minute, <laughs> my, my wife's pregnant. That's a miracle. And his name will be called John. That's what Gabriel told him. And then Mary, she's pregnant and she's a virgin. Wow, that's a miracle. And his name will be called Jesus and Emmanuel. You think they're not talking about these things? And so as months pass by, he begins to believe. And then it comes time for the circumcision of John. And so we have recorded the circumcision of John earlier in the chapter in verses 59 and following. And on the eighth day when the child was born, he came to be circumcised. And they said, well, what are we going to name him? Well, you got to understand that Zachariah still can't say a lick. He can't speak. But he's already been told by Gabriel, you're not going to name the child. I will because names mean thing and the word, means thing and the word John means gracious. And so, uh, so they say, what are you going to name the child? Elizabeth says, John. And, and, and so everybody's shocked because that was not a family name. And so then they turn to John, I mean, turn to uh, Zechariah. And then Zechariah speaks and he says, his name shall be called John. And the Lord opens his mouth. And then it says this, that everyone marveled at this. What? That Elizabeth had a child way past years. That all of a sudden, Zechariah, who couldn't speak, now speaks, and he blesses God. And he says, this child's name shall be called John. And then it tells us, and this is very important in understanding the song, it tells us that 
And fear came on all the neighbors, and all the, the, the things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then, what then will this child be? They're talking about it. Who is this child, John? What will he be? It's miraculous. Well, Zachariah knows. And that's what his song is about. You see? You understand why I have to give you the context? Because things don't take place in a vacuum. Jesus Christ didn't come into the world in a vacuum. He came into the real world. And he's given us the Holy Spirit in a real world. And he's really here today, maybe wanting to speak to you to understand what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. What is Christmas all about? It's not about candles and and, uh, friends coming over and having parties. And I love all that stuff. I was at a party Friday night. Matter of fact, with with, uh, Rob here. They did the baptism. Had a great time. But that's not what it's about. We all gather together because we're here because we can celebrate. Because sin has been dealt with. Death has been dealt with. Now I want to ask you something before I give you my two points. Do you know Christ? He has come into the world. The Son of God came into the world 2,000 years ago and he's crucified and raised from the dead, and he's coming back again. And so, so we don't get off track here. And as I come to my two points, it's very important for me as a minister of the gospel to ask you, are you saved? Because everything around Christmas is about salvation, right? To you today, a, a Savior has been born in the city of Bethlehem. And whether you know it or not, According to what Zechariah is going to tell us, you need a Savior. And it's not going to be your money. And it's not going to be your health because it's going to wear out one day. It's not going to be a spouse. It's not going to get, be getting married or having children, children behaving. And so here's the two things that I think that we can learn from Zechariah's song. And that is this. The song declares the time has come for God to accomplish salvation for mankind. That's the first thing. And we're going to see that in the first part. And then in the second part, we're going to see this. that This song also tells us why God must come into this world to accomplish salvation. Let me tell you, whether you know it or not, you need a Savior. You know that. You're looking for saviors all the time, aren't you? And all, all the things that are out there, the, all the idols of the world and the things that the world promises, that, man, if I get to go to Pasadena, Watch the Georgia game, which if anybody's got any tickets for free, and pay my flight and my hotel. <laughs> but uh, that would be a miracle. So here's the first thing to see. is This song declares the time has come for God to accomplish salvation for mankind. Now we see this in verses uh, 68 through 775. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because I really want to get to the bulk of making something real practical here. But here's what Zechariah realizes in these verses. He's basically declaring to the universe that the event that has taken place is a transition from the old covenant to the new. That's what he's saying. That I am the one who sees that I'm on the threshold of moving from B.C. to A.D. That God has come into the world. Now, he says this several ways. Uh, he, he speaks right off the bat. Notice the first thing that's out of his mouth in verse 60, 68. 
Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Okay, so salvation has come. So you say, well, what, is that? what is that exactly? What does that mean? Well, let me ask you something. Have you ever been saved from anything? If you've ever been saved from anything, then you know what you're saved from, don't you? Right? Like, uh, I, you know, I must drown. I've told the story before, and uh, my brother uh, had to save me. Much to my embarrassment, because there were a bunch of girls on the dock that I was trying to get to. But you know, when you're drowning, you don't really care anymore. <laughs> and man, I tell you what, my brother reached his hand out. He came out in a boat to get me, and I was, I was on my way down, and and I got, on that, I got in that boat, and I got up on that dock, and I'm just, you know, completely exhausted. I could care less what anybody thought about me. I wasn't dead. Or maybe, maybe you've had a financial problem. Maybe you have debt that you don't know how to get out of, and then a rich uncle dies or some aunt dies, and then all of a sudden there is this freebie that comes. And you're saved, but you don't save yourself. It wasn't your smarts that did it. Well, that's what the Bible is, is full of, but that's exactly what Zechariah is saying. Oh, it is now through the house of David, the power of God is coming into the world, and he will be the king, not of Israel, but the whole world. And he's a light not only to the Jews, but he's a light to us who are Gentiles. What an amazing an amazing thing that Zechariah is saying, now has, the time has come. But he also says that this is what the prophets said. The prophets have all been hundreds and hundreds of prophecies. Now, if you're an agnostic or you're a doubter, I would, I would challenge you to do something. I would challenge you to start taking all the prophecies of Jesus Christ, both his birth, his death, and his resurrection, and his coming again, and look at it in the Old Testament, and then you tell me if it's just willy-nilly with 400 different prophecies about him that all point to who Christ is. But what's the, that Christ? Oh, I didn't understand that. I get that now. You know what? We're moving from... Uh, B.C. to A.D. But not only that, he understands that God's promise of covenant to Abraham is being fulfilled. The promise of the oath to Abraham. And what is that promise to Abraham? Well, well, my friends, let me tell you. I, I was trying to understand the intertestamental period. I spent a lot of time reading about it. And because uh, there's no prophecy taking place for 400 years. Like, so what's going on in the head and mind of the Jews? You know what they started doing? Because they didn't have any more prophecy. They all got together and started writing commentaries. Called the Talmud and the Mishnah. And so there's all kind of uh, commentaries on, on, uh, on what Jews thought about the, the Old Testament. But it was very interesting. Uh, one, one of the things that I read uh, from a, a, a rabbi... Uh, when he was talking about the Jewish understanding of Abraham and God's covenant with Abraham, here's what he basically said. He said, um, he said, well, the first thing I need to say is that the Christian view of why God chose Abraham is completely wrong because they believe that God chose Abraham purely by grace. That he just chose him to be a light to the nations. To be the father of the nations. And whoever believes in Jesus Christ through faith or who trusts God by faith, then they will be saved because they will be under that covenant. They said, no, 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 no. The reason Abraham was chosen was because he rejected the idols of his fathers. 
The reason that Abraham was chosen was because he's the first human being in the history of the world that understood monotheism. So it's not of grace. That's not what Zachariah is saying. So how did God remember his promise to Abraham? Well, I don't have time to show you all the incredible verses. Maybe we'll go through Genesis here in the next couple of years or so. But, I, but I, I'll tell you one. In the very, when he first called him, he said, Through your seed, every nation will be blessed. All nations will be blessed. Paul picks up on that, and he says, in Galatians, he said, he didn't say seeds, plural, seed being Christ. Who is Christ? He's your God. He will be your Savior. Now, he understood this. So he, he sees these uh, from the lineage of David and that there's these promises that have been made to Abraham. But then he also, he understands that this is the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31 when Jeremiah says, hey, there is a day that is coming when I will take out a heart of stone and I'll put it in a heart of flesh. And I will not write my laws on Ten Commandments that you just go, well, I don't know if I believe it. I don't want to do it. But now, because of what Christ is going to do and the work of the Spirit, I'm going to write my laws on your heart. And that's exactly what our text tells us. Our text tells us uh, that, that, uh, that we would now be able to walk in righteousness. That we'll be able to serve Him with gladness and without fear. Why? Because, because of what God has done. Because that's the first thing. But the second thing I want us to see is, is this. The song not only declares the time has come for God to work the work of redemption. That's why we celebrate Christmas. And my friends, you better understand that Jesus coming in the world has everything to do with everyone in this room. But I want to give you the good news about this. And that is this. The song tells us why God must come to accomplish this salvation. Why the Jewish rabbis, at least the ones I read, had it all wrong that you're not saved by grace. That you too must acknowledge the true God, the God of the universe. You must too must be a monotheist. But on top of that, you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do the other. Now I want to ask you, how, how are any of y'all doing on that? And by the way, if that doesn't bother you, then you know what? That's John the Baptist's job was to prepare the way of the Lord. So what do we have for the rest of, of, this, uh, of this song? Well, it begins with the answer to the question of who John the Baptist is. And what does it say in verse 76? And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. Did y'all see that? This is an amazing Prophecy that's fulfilled in John. Now, what was John's message? Let me tell you what. John had one message. It's kind of like with a one-person band. It's like me and my piano playing. I know two songs on it. At least I know two. But um, you know what his message was? Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, why is he telling the people to repent? Ladies and gentlemen, it's very important you understand this. He's telling them for the same reason he has to tell you. To rightly understand the power of the gospel and the work of Christ. But they thought, well, we're just looking for a Messiah. 
who's going to make things right. We've talked about this so many times. But we have talked about it again. They want to restore the Davidic kingdom. But, you know, here's the problem. You know what? David, he, he had taken the kingdom to the furthest extent uh, that was promised to, uh, to Abraham. But, man, he conquers everything. What's the next thing he does? He's, he's having an affair. Uh, he's uh, uh, just throughout his life, his life's a train wreck, even though he's a man that had a heart for God, but there would be a greater than David. But what do the Jews want? They just want Israel. They, they, they want a welfare system that's a really good one. That's what they want. They want, uh, want hope that uh, I don't have to worry about the Romans. I don't have to worry about uh, all my enemies. But the fact of the matter is they were still in sin. And so John the Baptist's message to them, and it is to us today, who've turned the gospel into therapeutic Jesus. Turn the gospel into, hey, i got a redeemer. I'm in a small group. But I don't love my husband. I don't love my wife. I don't love anybody. I don't give my money. You know what John the Baptist would say to you this morning? You need to repent. Because the very purpose of the law is to drive us to this one who would save us. That's why his name is Messiah, that he would save us from the law. But let me tell you, there, there's so much. And so, so that's his purpose. That's the purpose of the law. I'm not here to tell you, try to save yourself, get your act together, be better. Let me tell you what, if Christ has come and he's your savior 2,000 years ago, you know what, you were good last week, you're good this week, and you'll be good next week, and you'll be good if he comes back again. Is that good news? But not for the purpose of a heart that becomes hard because we preach a soft gospel. The gospel has two realities, and I want you to understand this, you high school students who kind of wonder sometimes, I don't know if I really believe this. Well, let me, let me, what do you believe about your sin? What do you believe about your selfishness? What do you believe about the fact that you disobey your parents? What do you think about the fact that, okay, I drink, but I don't drink too much, but it's breaking the law of God. I mean, man's law, not the law of God. If you break man's law, you're breaking God's law. And so, so that's why the way has to be prepared. But here's the good news. The good news is found, and the gospel is found in these three verses from verses 77 to 79. So why is he going to preach this message? To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit until from, from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Why does God send John the Baptist? Why does he send his law? Why is he sending Hal Farnsworth, the pastor today, to, to do my very best by God's spirit to convict you of your sin? Is because of the tender mercies of God. That he might be merciful to you, a sinner, unless you don't need to be saved from the wrath of God. I'm doing fine. I go to church. I believe in the Apostles' Creed. Again, you know, if I, I was converted in high school. So if you're, I, I can't, I'm not trying to zero in on you high school students. On the way, y'all keep coming to my mind. I have no. 
But, but you're at that age, you've got to start asking yourself, college students, young adults, young married people, what's the most important thing to you? What do you need? What do you want? Let me tell you, your greatest need is to repent of your sin and know the tender mercies of God there in Jesus Christ. And why does he tell you that? Why does our text tell us that God has to accomplish this salvation? And I want to close on this. Because he says, he describes you outside of Christ. And he describes the world if Jesus had never come into this world. Imagine that. He says, I came to a people who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. You know, that's how he describes the world. Apart from God coming in the world, there's no light. Has anybody ever come up with an idea that's going to change the world? Isn't man, maybe you, you're always looking for that thing that you're going to finally get there. You're going to come to the city and you're going to arrive. You're going to arrive. But all of a sudden the dark comes and here you're the group of people. And, and uh, you, you say you lived 2,000 years ago. And you can't move. You can't move because you can't see. You can't see the light. There's no destination. But not only that, there is things in the dark, the shadow of, of death. Thieves, wild animals. So not only can they not make progress, they are living in anxiety and in fear. Now let me ask you, how many of y'all were doing that? You used to live in anxiety. You live in fear. You feel like you're in the darkness, even if you're a Christian. But there's the promise of light. And that light is the life of men. And that's Jesus. I just want you to be honest with yourself. Now, even if you're going, I don't need Jesus right now. I don't need Jesus Christ right now. Well, wait till you get to be my age and you get to be a certain age and you start going, wow, wait a minute. That headache could be serious. You know, that spot might be cancer because you know what? Your body grinds down and you die. And there is nothing out there apart from the Christmas message that's going to do away with that reality unless he comes into the world to be your light and your life and to die for you. And he'll substitute for you. Do you believe that? I mean, what, I mean if you're not a Christian, I, I couldn't have the courage not to be a Christian, to be honest with you. If you're not a Christian today, you've got more courage than I do. Or else you're sticking your head in the sand. So let me close by giving this illustration. Uh, this whole idea of light and life, light and life. Christ has come in the world. You know, think, of, think of no Jesus. If he, what if he never came in the world? There's no Jesus, no triune God. How you think that, that, how much hope would we have? None. Because the world has none. It's been looking for it for thousands of years. So, so, here, so let me close on this illustration. I want you to think about it because I want it to... I want you to know Christ and come to him if you're in the darkness and you're sitting there and you're fearful and you don't know which way to go and you're in the dark. When I was a counselor at a, a camp for uh, underprivileged children, somehow me and a couple of buddies of mine had, and my brother had the bright idea that we were going to put a bunch of kids that are 8, 9, 10 years old and hold hands and have one flashlight and go around this lake through just like bamboos and they got to hold each other's hand. Of course, you're 16 years old. You're stupid, you know. So we have the flashlight, and we're going on the other side of the lake. And, of course, we're telling them there's a cave on the other side. And we dug a hole and stuck a guy in the cave with a little red light to tell him, you know, that's Red Eye, the monster. That's where he lives. Now, tell me that's not stupid. <laughs> so, so anyhow, but here, so here we are with all these little seven, eight, nine years old. We don't know what it means to be sued. And... Uh, <laughs> 
so we're on the other side of the lake, okay, and, uh, and the moon went out in his thickets, and then all of a sudden, man, our light went out. Now imagine, you're in darkness with about 40 kids and one other counselor, and they're freaking out. I don't know which way to go. They're getting ready to scatter into the woods. Would y'all say that's a pretty desperate situation? Well, let me tell you what, yours is a lot worse. In sin, not knowing which way to go. And, and by the way, the darkness is finally going to really come when you die. The shades start going down. And then all of a sudden, a buddy of mine, one of the other counselors, I can't remember who it was, thankfully, he thought, man, that's probably stupid. I'm going to go check on them. He comes around the other side of the lake, and then he has a flashlight, he has a light, and boom, there's the light, and we were saved. And so were all the other kids saved. But, you know, I never, never did I appreciate light and have direction, know where I'm going, not falling in the lake, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, let me, this, this, is, this is what Zachariah is saying. The light's come in the world. And he is the life of men. He's a light not only that guides you, but he's also a light that exposes you why you need Christ. But he's also a light that warms the heart. Because you don't come to Christ as a set of ideas or Christianity, peace on earth. You're coming to a person. Would you do that this morning? Would you repent of your sin if you don't know Christ? Because God loves you. He cares about you. He don't want you to be in the darkness. And if you're a Christian and you've been kind of wandering around in the darkness or you've figured the idol is going to bring you light but you've realized it's brought you dark, then come, come to Christ and rest in him. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for uh, the Word of God that you so lovingly gave us your Word through all these different prophets and all these uh, different men uh, saying the same story, and that is that you're the God of the covenant. And that covenant is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for any who are here today that don't know Christ, that you would show them their sin first, because they they must get real about their sin and the wrath of God but that they would understand that you love those who are sinners, whose pride has been crushed, whose self-righteousness is done for. Father, would you bring them to yourself today? And Father, I pray for a whole church. And tonight, as we do lessons and carols, that this Advent season, we'd have just a great sense of your presence, that you have come into the world and you've come into Athens, Georgia, and you're going to change this city. In the year 2018, the year of our Lord. And we ask it in your name. Amen.